When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This week on Commons People, a Brexit agreement is apparently within our grasp. This is the right deal for the UK. And what mistakes were made in failing to prevent the Manchester Arena attack? Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons and I'm joined by Paul War. Hi, Paul. Hi, Ned. And our Brexit expert, uh, Anand Menon from the UK in a Changing Europe think I tank. So, UK in uh, a Changing uh, EU? Ah, in Europe. Or is it oh, Europe? Surely. I keep saying <laughs> I EU retake. and get being told off. <laughs> no, we're, we're keeping changing it. Europe. We're yeah. keeping this in. So about <laughs> 10.20 this morning, uh, Donald Tusk announced that a uh, draft political declaration on the future relationship had been agreed. It was sort of leaked about seven minutes later. Um, and then about half an hour ago, the Prime Minister spoke in Downing Street. Here she is. This is the right deal for the UK. It delivers on the vote of the referendum. It brings back control of our borders, our money and our laws. So, is this what we're expecting, this document? Is anything particularly massively that surprises us? No, I don't think so. And of course, the bottom line is, it's a political declaration. Yeah. So, it doesn't bind anyone to anything. So, is it even worth the paper it's written on to me? Well... I suppose from the Prime Minister's point of view, if it helps to get the withdrawal agreement through Parliament, it's worth every single sheet of paper, yeah. Mm. And that's the point of it, isn't it? It is to hold out the prospect of something better. Because uh, not many MPs like what we've been offered in terms of the withdrawal agreement for a whole host of conflicting reasons. Mm. But this is meant to say, look, we just get through the withdrawal stage and the sunlit uplands, or at least the not-too-rainy uplands, lie ahead. Yeah, and if you if you've always said, Anand, that the withdrawal agreement is the, the tough medicine, the mm. unpalatable bit. This is this is the sugary syrup uh, that's supposed to sort of help the medicine go down. Um, whether or not that's going to work, I don't know. We'll find but, out. But does it? Because even if there's things in it that people like, like we're saying, if it's not binding, what's to make anyone believe well, that it'll happen? Number or? 10's argument has always been that it's it's not that simple. And there is some linkage between the withdrawal agreement and the political declaration mm. that they won't agree one before they agree the other, that actually the two are linked. Now, they've been a bit vague on exactly how they're linked, but they're implying that there's some sort of legal force, believe it or not, um, within the political declaration because it refers back to the legal text of the withdrawal mm. agreement. And I don't want to get into the technicalities of that, but they're convinced that that sort of link applies. But the most interesting thing about what I've seen so far, and we'll get the whole thing later, is... Is that actually 
it is indeed this political declaration. It's it's it is stacked full of all the adjectives that we expected, and these are sort of adjectives that the EU used to really take the piss out of Britain about, which is you know a deep and special partnership. When when May first said those words, mm. the Commission's sort of haughty response was, "We can't have negotiation by adjective." But actually, that's exactly what's happening in this document. You've got you've got words. I've just seen them. They've got words like ambitious, flexible, <laughs> broad, you know, <laughs> as well as deep and special. And it, you just think, you know. All right, I get that. They've got both sides have got to really try and sell this to their respective audiences, mm. um, and May particularly needs to sell it to her MPs, and that's why she's doing this statement this afternoon. She's you know hitting the ground running. She knows she can't wait until Monday for when a lot of people thought she would do a next big statement to Parliament. She can't wait that long. Why can't she? Because there are obviously people who are still thinking of putting in some more leadership letters, and um, this. This is an attempt to get ahead of the game, get on the front foot like that statement in number 10 mm. and just set and keep selling, selling, selling. Do we think that, I mean, obviously, since we last did this podcast, there's been a lot of ups and downs, a coup that sort of didn't really happen. Um, do you think she's safe now? I mean, for now. Well, you're not safe, are you? Because I mean, the letters stay on file. Mm. So it's a, it's a, it's a, they have a running total. Yeah. But I mean, she's a lot safer if the ERG are so busy fighting each other. Mm that they haven't got the time and space to fight her. And it seems to me that's what's happening. I think this this generational split inside the European Research Group is fascinating. And it's obviously a very, very bitter and real one. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, I was talking to people earlier this week. They were muttering about the fact that, you know, you've got the knights like uh, Sir Bernard Jenkin. You've got Ian Duncan Smith um, uh, and Owen Patterson, who are former cabinet ministers. That they've obviously, in a way, tasted the high life. They've had cabinet office or they've had a, a knighthood. Mm. And the idea that somehow they could have a peerage on top of that, that somehow the old guard looked down their noses at some of the new intakes in 2015 and 2017, that really is, is the cause of some of this bitterness. Now, obviously, um, it's not... It, it can be overdone, the bitterness, but there certainly is. When it comes down to will you put in a letter or won't you, that's an individual decision. Mm. And a lot of the older guard are saying, look, just... We've got the right strategy. Just wait and see what she comes up with. And today might prove their point, which is, look, you, we thought we gave her a chance, the last chance mm. to give us something extra. She's now not giving us something extra. We're going to vote on it. If she's defeated in the vote, then we can try and take her out. And you can see if the, the older guard, that's their rationale. Mm. Um, um, she's not out of the woods at all, though. And she, I mean, she is going to be defeated on the vote, surely, in the well, first one. Or what do we think? You know what? I talked to someone number 10 about this, and I said... Have you got this so-called TARP strategy, you know, where we talked about last week, mm -hmm. where you have one bite of the cherry and you lose it and, and then the markets melt down, et cetera, et cetera, and then you have another go uh, with some sort of minor amendments. Um, that's, that, that they, they're not denying that that is a possibility, okay? If you've got a TARP um, strategy, you can't tell people about no, it, exactly, can you? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. but, but what they are saying is actually they, they still, believe it or not, determined to win on the first vote. And how do they do that? The only way in which you can do that is by somehow selling what she's talking about today really, really hard. Mm. And I think the most interesting thing of everything she said on the steps of number 10 just now was that um, the British people want this settled. Forget everything else. That mm. one mm. phrase, the British people want this settled. And it's a basic, basic sort of plea. Look. We're all fighting amongst ourselves mm. here. People out there just want to get on with it. It's another way of saying they want to get, whether you're a Remainer, and actually some Remainers do want to get on with it, some really want to stop it. But a lot of Leavers just can't understand why it's not happened. I mean, does that tie into the kind of, we saw maybe a not subtle change of tack this week with Amber Rudd saying, you know, if we don't have this deal, it's no Brexit at all, which people initially said was a gaffe. But then 
May herself. Or May herself has said it before. Mm. I think what the Prime Minister is doing is she's putting pressure on her MPs from above and from below. Mm. So from above are the strategies of the peerages and the you know investments in your constituencies and the prospect of ministerial, you know, the usual stuff. Mm. And from below are the phone calls to constituency parties that she was doing, the trying to get public opinion on her side. We had that startling set of numbers uh, in the Times yesterday that showed a massive increase of the, in the number of Lib Dems who wanted to stay in position to do this. Uh, <laughs> You know, the polls never cease to surprise. Uh, so I think she's trying to just seize the moment and, yeah. and get this done. And it's worth saying that part of the bitterness, going back to the ERG, part of the bitterness is, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of someone like Steve Baker, if this goes wrong, he's condemned to be the next Bill Cash, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the angry Eurosceptic. No offence, Bill, if you're listening. Uh, you know, Without any sense of resolution, possibly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, but that actually, to be fair... That's one of the well, the neat tricks that May is pulling off today, which is that this is so vague, this political declaration, mm. it makes clear that another prime minister could have a softer Brexit that could have an even harder Brexit. It's entirely up to Britain. All things no, to all men. No, you know, exactly. And the, and the EU are perfectly happy with that as long as it, all their red lines are met. They don't mind if we just want to go off mm. and have a so-called clean Brexit. But, you know, if we do, there'll be serious consequences that they made that clear but we're still allowed to do it and and so you can tell why people like michael gove some of the hardliners are going to be really selling this hard to backbenchers saying look let's just get out let's do what the people want get mm. out and then who knows in the future another prime minister who knows if it's michael gove if it's dominic mm. rabb even you know we can toughen mm. this up well, the maths is interesting. It's worth saying. I mean, I should just give a shout out to Matt Bevington and Alan Wager in our office who've been poring over these numbers. But, you know, what if the DUP decide to abstain? Uh, what if the ERG continues dividing itself in half? I mean, we've gone from 80 of them committed to voting against to 40 to now 20. How far can that go? I mean, it's implausible, I think. It's very hard to make the numbers add up, but it's yeah. not impossible. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. And the, the, the DUP, I think, is really important because Arlene Foster last night, she quite clearly wants to keep this confidence and supply deal with the Tories going. You know, she's bending over backwards to say, look, give me something, give me something. Mm -hmm. I don't want this. I don't want a general election. Um, and the only problem with the abstention thing is that if you've made it into such a point of principle, how could you possibly not vote against it? Mm. Um, first time. It, it, first time. <laughs> well, that's a very good point, first time. The other, you know, curious bit in all this is the SNP. Under one set of figures that was leaked... Um, the SNP were expected to abstain too. Now, if they abstain, 35 MPs, mm. that's, you mm. know, the it's government will be absolutely delighted. And yeah. you, if they do abstain, what are the SNP going to get in return? And it's very interesting as well. Uh, in Northern Ireland itself, one of our team, a guy called Colin Harvey, who's based in Belfast, has been saying that there's been an enormous pushback from the unionist community against the position of the DUP, saying, hang on. You're being very fundamentalist about this, whereas on paper this is a very good deal for the business community in Northern Ireland that have cautiously welcomed it. The farming community have welcomed this deal. The DUP are in danger of looking a little bit sort of isolated within their own community if they sort of just ride roughshod over people's practical concerns. And mm. practical concerns are what loom large in Northern Ireland. It's all about borders and the ease of trade. And actually... This deal is pretty good for them in that way. That's a really good point. That's precisely why Prime Minister was due this afternoon to meet Northern Ireland businessmen in number 10. Um, you know, she knows what the game is. And that's precisely why Philip Hammond's going to the DUP conference on yep. Friday night. Along with Boris. Dinner. <laughs> Boris, of course, is there to stir it. But 
you know, people within the DUP, I was told that actually the farming community, we just don't get here, mm. uh, as Alan was suggesting, we don't get here how important farming is to the DUP and the unionist community, how deeply entwined the two parties have become, uh, uh, the, the, the farming community and the DUP. And there are loggerheads, you know, they they know, as one of their MPs said in the House of Commons, um, that overnight, if there is a no deal, you know, much of their trade can be wiped out. I mm. mean, there's no question about it. So I think you maybe, maybe having made a principled stand on the first vote, maybe they could abstain. The Are we jumping ahead of ourselves? I mean, obviously, Sunday is the summit and Spain has been making noises about being unhappy about Gibraltar. Do we think that's really just a lot of noise or... Is there, uh, is there a chance yes. that... Uh... Yeah. I'm going to stick my neck out and say the French and the Spanish have got good domestic reasons to do this, mm. not good enough to scupper the whole thing and burn relationships with Germany. And the Germans are getting quite impatient about this. But what it is, it's shots across the bows. This will come back when we talk trade. All these mm. things, 27 of them from different countries with different quibbles. It'll be a very, very hard trade deal to negotiate. Well, that's the other point, isn't it? We, we haven't even started the proper trade negotiation, have we? I mean, Alan, Alan's right. You know, when it comes down to that, it's going to be a long, hard road there's no question and again what's clever about today is that there's a, a, a line that has upset Ross Thompson the mm. Scottish Tory Eurosceptic um, which is about saying there'll be a separate fishing agreement and he thinks oh that, that spells danger I mean a lot of people have tried to calm him down and say well you know just having a separate agreement doesn't mean you're going to lose everything. It just means it's another agreement. And David Mundell tweeted he's on board, so they've sort of... Exactly. Uh, and crucially, Michael Gove, it was absolutely fascinating watching him in the House of Commons yesterday. Not many people watched it, but on the fisheries bill, this, you know, this tiny, tiny bit of legislation, for the first time we saw Michael Gove stand at the dispatch box and defend this deal. Now, admittedly, mm. it was only his bit of the deal, which mm. he's really proud of, because let's be honest, and Anand's talked about this before, they kind of got their way on fisheries fishing at this stage yeah. you know in the withdrawal agreement they've done a pretty damn good job and that's precisely why the Spanish and French are upset go for the dispatch box pointed that out he said why do you think that the EU are trying to sweeten this pill because they know what we've got mm. and we haven't break, broken bent or buckled as to use his phrase and he was quite chipper he had lots of Eurosceptic MPs piling into him but he stood up to it and I have mm -hmm. to say it reminded me of Michael Gove at the Oxford Union taking all comers and actually being a really brilliant debater. He's, he's convinced himself, I will make the case for this argument, and mm. he's going to do it really well. And I think May is going to need a lot more of that from him on the bigger deal itself next week onwards. I agree, absolutely. I think he's, he's, a, he's the key asset. I think if he'd gone... We'd be having a completely different conversation now. I maintain that there was some sort of deal struck with Brussels. I maintain that she must have said to them, "Look, if you stick, if you do something with fisheries, I lose Gove, then I lose the whole thing," because they were, you know, the the French and others were desperate to make fishing a condition of the withdrawal agreement, and all of a sudden they seem to back off. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, uh, let's see what happens on Sunday. You mentioned long hard road. It's a long hard road to next week for the podcast. Yeah, and who knows what have happened then? Oh, and before you go, Anand, we'd be watching. Uh, the, the summit, all the, the fun and games? Actually, as from five o'clock tonight, I'm on holiday to Monday, till Monday. It's my mum's 90th birthday today. The party's on Saturday. I intend to have a hangover on Sunday and not listen to any <laughs> news for the whole weekend. See, that that's a key bit of the number 10 PR plan. <laughs> Taken out of out. They're changing their grid as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So Brexit always is dominating, but there was another big story today, um, which would be wrong to ignore. Um, MI5 admitted for the first time they made some mistakes ahead of the 2017 Manchester Arena bombing. Um, here's Dominic Grieve, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, explaining the report they published. Taking these issues together, we've concluded that there were a number of failures in the handling of Salman Abedi's case. 
It's impossible to say whether any of these, if any of these had not happened, that the devastating attack of the 22nd of May could have been prevented. But we can say that as a result of the failings, potential opportunities to prevent it were missed. Um, Rachel Wimouth has joined us to talk us through. So what, what did the report find and what were they saying the mistakes that were made? Okay, so this is this is the Commons Intelligence and Security Committee. They've looked at um, the, the five terror attacks that there were in 2017. So that is, for those who, who don't remember, it's the Westminster attack, it's the London Bridge attack, um, the Manchester Arena attack, um, Parsons Green and Finsbury Park Mosque. They reserved some of their most scathing criticism for how um, MI5 dealt with Salman Abedi, who was um, the attacker in the, at the Manchester Arena. Um, they said that they, were, that they didn't bother to monitor his travelling, so he was back and forth to Libya and they had no idea when he returned. Um, they say he was able to visit um, uh, terrorism prisoners, basically people in prison because of terrorism offences um, and that that wasn't monitored correctly. Um, MI5 have been aware of him since 2014, but they um, failed to refer him to the counterterrorism programme Prevent. Uh, you know, some, 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 some pretty basic mm. stuff that the MI5 now admits for the first time that uh, they got wrong. Is that because they say due to lack of resources or they generally drop the ball or what's the... Or is that not um, is that not clear? Well, it, it, it's it's not a resourcing issue. I asked that question. They said it's not not a resourcing issue. It's it's just that the systems aren't working in the way that they should be. Um, in terms of the other recommendations of the report, which were, which I thought were really interesting, um, there was um, they were looking specifically at what tech and communications companies could could do, mm. um, and it was it was striking basically that they, they seemed quite powerless in that regard. Well, their, their recommendation was that the the government should now be approaching the business community to ask it to follow in the footsteps of Unilever, which um, Unilever boycotted Facebook to get it to. Um, tighten up its um, some of the extremist content that were on the, to take a further look mm. at some of the extremist content that was on the website, and that and that worked, and Facebook did it. But they, it was just striking that um, the committee thinks that that's what government should be doing. It should be going and asking business for help rather than mm. um, putting in place some effective regulation <laughs> that could right. could got, get um, terrorists to stop networking on um, sites. And I think that's interesting because obviously there's always been this huge debate about security and privacy, and you know where does the balance lie? and civil liberties versus the need to sort of protect ourselves. And, um, you know, it comes right back to the, that drama bodyguard, you know, the, the <laughs> Julia Montague wanted to write, ram through some really serious anti-terror laws by making sure that we knew there's lots of digital surveillance. And Theresa May, on whom that's kind of modelled, mm. apart, apart from the uh, obvious bits in that plot, um, <laughs> she, um, she basically has for long, a long, long time said that, you know, um, we need to tighten up the law. She's been resisted by other ministers. She was under the Cameron government. She is still. And I think it's, this is this Today, this report, what's going to be interesting about it is how does the Home Office respond? Mm. Because Sajid Javid, he's actually instinctively on Theresa May's side. He's not a civil libertarian. He thinks he should crack down. And I, I think it'll be fascinating, as Rachel says, the MPs have tried to give a way out for the government here by saying, look, you don't have to legislate. We know that might not get through the House of Commons. The last thing you need right now is another row mm. and you haven't got a majority. So maybe... Just putting some heavy pressure, though, using the power of government procurement, multi-billion pounds that Britain can spend on these same things, can can change the behaviour of people like Facebook. And it was it was also interesting just the the, the pressure that the Home Office seems to be under at the moment. And one of the things that, that Dominic Grieve pointed out was that. 
the Home Office had failed to share information with them until um, Monday, right. um, some really it's vital terrible. information that That's they needed. Really terrible. Yeah, and, and he said it's just an example of um, the dysfunctionality at the Home Office. And if you looked back to um, the uh, Home Office Affairs Select Committee yesterday here in um, the Immigration Minister, Carolyn Noakes, she was kind of questioned about when they were sharing information about their asylum detention centres and, and Yvette Cooper, um, the chair of the committee, confronted her and said, well, we actually found out that you didn't even ask for this inf- this essential information about what was happening at their mm-hmm. asylum detention centres until the Monday. Um, and it, it just it just seems that they're, they're playing catch-up all the time. And when I did ask about the resourcing issue, um, they said that, that it wasn't that they didn't have enough funds, but just that the, the complexity and the level of work was going up, particularly when you take into consideration sort of a state actors such as uh, Russians and mm. <laughs> um, mm. invading him for want of a yeah. better word. <laughs> yeah, not quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting, yeah. I mean, I think that's the difficulty, isn't it? Is it? We're all obsessed with Brexit, but and we tend to take our eye off the ball. Mm. Um, but we were reminded during the election campaign that, you know, Islamist terror is still a massive, massive thing. Yeah. You know, it dominated the election campaign. It almost derailed it. And some, some Tories to this day still think it did derail their, their campaign. They won't say so publicly, but they think that's one of the reasons that they lost their, their narrative. Um, um, because there were so many disruptions to the election. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're going to have to keep coming back to this debate about what does government do about it. The, what I find interesting is the resourcing thing. Labour's natural response would say there isn't enough money. But if, it is, if it's, it's all the more worrying if it's not that, if it's about the structures, it's about the management structures, it's about the complexity of it. Because the argument makes it harder to fix if it's not just... Absolutely, and that's money, why yeah. I suppose in a way we should... Uh, MI5 deserve credit for finally owning up to some of those massive errors. I mean, you can imagine those guys, you know, it's it's not through any lack of trying. They put their lives on the on the line every day to try and protect us. And they'll be as mortified as anyone else that they've failed to trap that guy. And over the course of um, just that one year, 2017, those terror attacks killed um, 36 people. It's quite easy to forget that just that number of people lost their lives. Um, and... One of the things that um, MI5 have said in recent months is that the, the, the threat is going up and up and up from the, the far right in this country as well as just the Islamist mm. threat. So they've got a lot of work on their hands. I think it's a useful reminder that Brexit isn't the only thing going on. <laughs> um, maybe we should uh, end on maybe a bit of a lighter note, um, a little bit from the Commons this morning. Uh, John Burko getting extremely upset with Commons leader Andrew Leadsom because she wasn't paying attention to him. Oh. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Procedure Committee has, I think, helpfully produced a report on this matter in which... Perhaps I can start again. Perhaps I can start again when the leader's finished her conversation with her honourable friend. Perhaps when the leader's finished her conversation with her honourable friend, I can respond... Yes, I'd be extremely grateful for that, for that courtesy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.